Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to our moms. Um, thank you all for being here. Um, if you can, uh, turn your Bible to chapter 4, Ephesians. We're continuing our study. Chapter 4, beginning in verse 25 uh, to the end of the chapter. Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. If you're there, would you all stand as we receive the word of God? Here is the word. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Amen. Father, we ask that you would explain, expound your word to us. Holy Spirit, who inspire your apostle Paul to write these words for your dear people, I ask that you would, by the power of the Spirit, let your servant deliver and explain what you have taught me. For your people, by the power of Spirit, not only to understand, but to be comforted and convicted, corrected and trained, taught in your word, in your wisdom, in your truth. That we desire as we um, study your word. May it be the time that you will reveal your son Jesus Christ, the incarnate word. We desire your will to be done here. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, um, you know, it's really hard to see your own children going up and down in hell. And this is the third week that uh, um, I, I, I see one of them or two of them at the same time being sick throughout, you know, for past three weeks. And we, we thought Caleb turned the corner you know, he's building up, I understand, his immune system. And you know, we realized Grace went through something like that. Kate, Justin went through something like that. But uh, I guess uh, being the youngest and uh, the least amount of the good things he received from mom, maybe, um, he's just uh, going through a lot. Uh, we thought he was fine and then came back home on Friday uh, with fever. And then his eyes are just red. Um, swollen like Justin punched him in secret, you know. Um, 
So, um, by God's grace, at least one member of the family is standing tall. And that's me. <laughs> and, and thank God for that. Um, but uh, thank you for all, you know, uh, your prayers, concerns. Uh, Christina is doing much better. Um, Grace is doing well. Uh, Justin recovered. Um, so we'll see how uh, next week, we'll, uh, you know, uh, I can just, I can wait for summer, to be honest. So we'll see. Again, we are uh, going through uh, our study here um, in the letter of Ephesians. And last Sunday, we were um, challenged by the apostle um, that we must have this continuity. As Christ followers, we got to have continuity with the conversion to Christ and our conduct in Christ. There has to be consistency, consistent relationship with your salvation, your profession, and your uh, uh, declaration of faith, and your conduct, the way you live, has to be consistent. In other words, the newness in Christ, your born-again newness in Christ, your new identity in Christ must be evident in your new manner of life in Christ. So therefore, what that means is for us, Christ followers, that has to be our life's goal. We already are children of God. We are already the kingdom citizens. We are already in Christ, but not yet there in, a, in, in righteousness and holiness in terms of that likeness, the image of Jesus Christ to be evident in our lives. That's what we are working for working towards. That's what Paul's been saying in chapter 4. Let us grow, mature in the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? Resembling the qualities, resembling personalities, the attitudes in our lives that was in the Lord Jesus Christ. That means putting the world behind you and the cross before you you have decided. That means you live as you learn, and you learn Christ, didn't we? And you continue to learn Christ, learn as you live. Well, live as you learn, I'm sorry. And then finally, that means we have to put off, lay aside our old clothes, putting aside our old habits, old lifestyles, and we take on, put on the new clothes, the new things of God. That was the, the last point that Paul was making in the previous passage. And this passage we read, the focus is on that. He's going to emphasize that continual process of putting off and putting on in this passage. And that is very much important for Paul. You know, you see, Paul after encountering Jesus Christ on the hill of Damascus, when he was saw, he was living with all the accolades that he could possibly accumulate, his uh, uh, family background, his uh, establishment in his own right, education, intelligence, uh, advancement way beyond his age. When he was saw, he was set for life. 
But after meeting Jesus, what did he do? He put off all of those. He lay aside and he considered that junk, rubbish. And after Jesus, he was no longer Saul. He was Paul putting on the new things of God, new identity. Therefore, perspective changes. So he will continue to put off the things that is, does not align with Christ and put on the things of God, the task of God, responsibility of God, how to please the Lord. This is important for Paul. This concept of, this is fancy word for that is sanctification, but putting off, laying aside, and put on the new stuff, wearing these new things that suit you and your new identity in Christ. Because it matters. The spiritual clothes you wear will in undoubtedly reflect the new self that is created in the likeness of Jesus Christ, reflecting His righteousness and holiness. Or the spiritual clothes you wear will reflect still your old habits, your formal way of life. No distinction, no difference from the world. If you have decided, I will follow Jesus as we saw together short moments ago, is it noticeable? Are you taking off your formal way of life? Are you turning and walking the other way towards the Lord? Is it evident? Is the focus that he has here. And that's important. Because only reliable evidence of anyone's salvation is not a past experience. Your past experience of receiving Jesus Christ, your past experience of serving Christ so fervently and passionately in the past, yes, that, that is important. That uh, it should be recognizable and remembered. But at the same time, when we are talking about your present life, your life being filled with the Holy Spirit, the past experience, it's not what is it's not reliable for anyone to know how filled you are with the Holy Spirit. First John chapter two, verse four and five. Apostle John says this whoever says, I know him, him, he's referring to Jesus Christ. I know Jesus. But anyone who says I know him and does not keep his commitment is a liar. Why? Because the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, the word of our Lord Jesus, in him, truly the love of God is perfected by this, by that obedience, by keeping of his word, we may know that we are in Jesus. It's not your past experience. Your past zeal and passion and that you, how you serve the church and live for Christ and the gospel. Great. Awesome. But Paul is saying each and every day you take off your old clothes, lay aside these things. What are we doing? What are we demonstrating today? This is Paul's message in the second half of the letter. Ever since he got to chapter 4, this is what he's been preaching. Believers, Christ followers must know that salvation is putting aside old self and putting on the new self. 
And when he says this, this certainly does not uh, mean that it will automatically and naturally eventually happen. You will act and live as God wants. No. In his mystery, uh, in his mystery of grace and power, God made us new. However, he still commands us to obey, to follow, to subdue our flesh, overcome our flesh, the desire of our flesh by what? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So you do not do what the world does. You do not do what the body desires, but you do what spirit wills in you. And you wage war each and every day, the spiritual battle, in order to live according to the conversion of Christ that will be consistent in the life you live. So in this passage here, what he is going to give you and give all of us, what that means to live in submission to Christ, who is our new master, how we faithfully, freely, positively respond to God's sovereign declaration to us, his commands for us. And he gives us new habits that we must cultivate. He gives us five specific I call it behaviors that we must have, we must work on as Christ followers. Now, why? Once again, I repeat, your belief and your behavior has to come in hand in hand. Your belief and your behavior is a package. It comes together, joined together always. So let's get right to it in verse 25. First behavior. Paul is mentioning here that we must cultivate is to put off lying. You got to take off, lay aside lying, but speak truthfully. Verse 25, put away falsehood and speak the truth. Now, this word falsehood in Greek is translated as, obviously here in the ESV as falsehood. NIV does that as well, but it actually means the lie. That's the same word. That is the same word that Apostle John used to describe the spirit of Antichrist in 1 John chapter 2. Falsehood. Do not stop lying. Speak the truth. As we all know, lying is a serious offense to God. And any believer can make a mistake of lying. You know, maybe in the heat of moment, in the heat of confusion, in the weakness of your Resolve, maybe you have lied or trivialized or white lies. We have made mistakes of lying. But what we are talking about here is a person who is a repeat offender. We're talking about a habitual lie. Lies all the time. And for these people, habitual liars, there is no, I tell you, no biblical basis to consider that person a Christian. John chapter 8, verse 44 is a prime example. John says that the person who continually lies as a regular part of his or her daily living, no matter how trivial that might be, it shows himself or herself not to be a child of God. 
But John will say, a child of Satan. Satan is the father of lies. He lies about almost everything there is. He lies about God. He lies about Christ. He lies about life and death. Lies about heaven and hell. Lies about the scripture, the authority, the inerrancy. He lies about uh, good and evil. He lies about it. all things. Ever since the fall, lying has become a common main characteristic of our mankind, this world. I mean, our society today lies so much. We lie so much so to the point that it's so hard for you to trust who to believe, you know, for you to know who to trust, for you to know what to believe. Everyone lies. From one media to the other, one, you know, one person to the other, it's all lie. And even worse, the ability to lie and your ability to lie well is, is becoming a valuable asset to many workplaces. They welcome it. Many workplaces are not honest and truthful. Yet I tell you, the Bible simply tells us lying is what? Lying is sin. Lying is sin. No matter how trivial it might be, no matter you meant it or not, lying is sin. Here's one more thing, one more aspect of lying uh, that needs to be included here. It also includes exaggeration. So it is falsified information, right? That's what lying is. But when you add things to your story just to make it more dramatic, you embellish your story. You know, as a avid fisherman, that happens with the fisherman. Oh, man, that one time the trophy fish I caught, you know? You add a couple more inches, you know this dramatic story, how you were able to land it, all of these things. You know, for between fishermen, we, we, we don't really go by the stories. We go by picture. <laughs> and even for picture, if you, when you take it, you know, if you're a rookie, when you, when you uh, take a picture of a fish you caught, you, you hold it like this. And when we took Justin to, uh, you know, that uh, little trip we had, he caught a little... Uh, uh, catfish or croaker, he held it like this, and then daddy goes, hey, push it out. What does that do? The fish is bigger than what it is in the picture. We do that. Oh, look at this huge you know, fish I caught. We exaggerate, we embellish. For what? To serve your ego. So what do we do? When, when we take a picture between the fishermen, Put it down, I put my foot down or a ruler down just to know and let you know truthfully how big of a fish it was. Or there is a little handheld weight, you know, device. Okay, two pounds, three pounds. That's how we kind of, you know, that's how we try not to lie. I tell you, there was a speaker. Um, 
who was widely known with his very powerful moving testimony. And he was on the circuit. I mean, he, he went through probably all the well-known conventions and gatherings, and he was uh, giving the, his powerful moving story. And many people were encouraged, and some are moved to even receive Christ as a result of his testimony. But a few years later, he altogether stopped giving that particular testimony, and he was not in the main circuit. And someone asked him, it's like, why aren't you giving that powerful story of yours, that testimony? And he answered, because I, I was confronted. I finally realized that I tell the story for the sake of, you know, a dramatic result to move the audience. And I embellish the story, add things to the point that now I don't even know what is true, what is not. So I stop altogether giving that testimony because he was convicted. Am I, am I telling the truth or is this a lie? Folks, as new creation, we must put away the lie and we have to embrace the truth. As creation, we must stop lying, speak the truth. Why? Why is this so important? Why is this the first item? Because we belong to Jesus Christ who is the truth. It's important because we have the Holy Spirit. He indwells in us who is the spirit of the truth. We can't lie. We have to speak. We must speak the truth. Notice an uh, interesting point at the end of verse 25. Paul says, speak truthfully to whom? To his neighbor. Why? Because we are all members of one body we need to speak the truth to everyone because we belong to Christ who is the truth. To the, everyone that we interact with, we have to speak the truth. But here, particularly, especially, we have to speak the truth to our fellow Christians. Why? Can you imagine a body function properly if each member of a body does not communicate correctly? I see there is a, you know, a, some sort of obstacle, yet eyes will not communicate truthfully, honestly to the brain. There is an obstacle. So he tells the other story. Then what happens? You trip and fall. Paul goes to the each member of the body. The church cannot function properly if its members do not speak the truth to one another or fail to work together honestly and lovingly. And the grain of salt that we have to take this truth with is what he already spoke on verse 15 when he says you need to speak the truth and you must do so in love. Speak the truth. Stop lying. It smells like a lie. It sounds like a lie. If there is a possibility that, that your, your story, your claim, and your, whatever you're going to say what words, what words you're going to come out in your mouth and you don't think you can keep it, it becomes a lie. Don't do it. Don't do it. He's the truth and we are his people. Second behavior we must work on is putting off anger. Put off, lay aside anger. Verse 26 and 27. Paul says, be angry 
and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Interesting, isn't it? What is he saying here? Be angry and do not sin. What is he saying? Is he really saying that, oh, you need to work on your anger issue, your anger problems, and don't be angry because anger is sin? No, I don't think he is defining anger to be sin here. Here you can see Paul is not concerned with anger itself, but he is definitely concerned with what you will do when you are in your anger. What you do and say when you are angry, that is something that Paul is addressing here. He is saying you can be angry, but in your anger, do not sin. But is it possible? <laughs> it's so easy for you to be angry and in your anger, it results in sin. But in the Bible, we see two kinds of anger. First one is a controlled, righteous, holy anger. And the other side is uncontrolled, selfish, emotional anger. Now, I have to tell you, again, anger itself is not sin. Jesus, our Lord himself, was angry several occasions, remember, in the New Testament. He was angry, livid. He was angry at the temple when, when people were doing business at the, his father's house, the house of prayer. He was so angry to the point that he premeditated what he was going to do. He went and grabbed a branch and made a whip out of it. He was so angry. He went and overturned the table and chased people out and, you know, hitting them, angry. He was so angry with the Pharisees when they tested him on Sabbath, whether or not Jesus was going to heal this sick person, poor person. He was angry. He was angry with his own disciples. I mean, how long should I wait? Your lack of faith, your lack of progress, he was angry. In the Old Testament, we may see passages, many of them, about the righteous anger of God against the wicked man and woman, even to his own people for their disobedience. Once again, I repeat, anger itself is not sin. But what Paul is doing here, what he is saying here, is that distinction between sinful anger and sinless anger. Can you imagine Think about it. It is wrong for you to be not to be angry in certain situations, circumstances that you need to be angry in the face of injustice. It is wrong for you to have no emotion, no anger, no empathy, sympathy towards the people who are being abused. It's wrong for you to have no anger. And it is also wrong to be angry at the wrong time for the wrong reason. But if we're honest with ourselves this morning, we're often angry at the wrong time, for the wrong things, for wrong reasons. And it has a lot to do with our personal, selfish feelings and reasons and pride. You know, when I get hungry, I get angry. 
I call it a hangry. And when you are hungry, you become angry, and the only person you are thinking of is you. You don't care about why you're not being fed. And I, I do that to Christina a lot, and I, I am truly sorry for that. But you do that. That's a sinless anger, and there is sinful anger. Now, what's Paul's solution? How do we deal with this anger issue? Paul says one thing and one thing only. He says we must deal with anger quickly. Deal with it quickly before the sun goes down. So it doesn't mean that you, okay, so you got angry at 12, you know, midday. Oh, so you got seven more hours until sun goes down during the summertime. That's not what it's saying. What he's saying is you get angry, deal with this as soon as possible. Why? Why should you deal with this as soon as possible? Because the longer you remain in your anger, the no longer you sit on it, and more and more you think about what made you upset in the first place, what got you angry, Paul says it becomes the devil's foothold. You're giving opportunity to the enemy. It's like you don't help the guy to ruin you. He is pretty capable to begin with, but you're going to give him an opportunity, an opportunity to go to work on you. And that anger, if you sit on it, do not quickly deal with it. It will lead to, it will lead to other destructive sins. You will do something, you will say something, and you will regret, and therefore you can't really uh, 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 walk back on it so you're going to cover it and cover it and cover it and justify it. And next thing you know, ruins relationship, your own reputation, and who knows what comes after. This is why James says in chapter 1, verse 19, he says we should be slow to become angry and quick to forgive. Slow to be angry. Bible says many things, but some of the things about this issue is to be at peace with all men, he says. Be at peace with all men at all, at all costs. Never take your own revenge, but leave room for the wrath of God. Because the Bible says, the Lord said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. Let God handle the situation. So you got angry, you got upset, and that's right you were mistreated but let god handle it rather than you conjure up something to get even and you remain in anger mode and you cook up something that how you can get to that person payback our job is to be at peace with all men do not sit in your anger deal with it as quickly as you can Okay? Practical. Practical. We all get angry. Trust me. The third behavior we need to work on, Paul says, to put off stealing, but labor instead. Work instead. In the Ten Commandment, the number eight item, the Eighth Commandment, you shall not steal. Don't steal. It's pretty straightforward, and we all understand we're not supposed to take something that does not belong to us, money that we do not make, it's not ours. 
So it has to be applied in many ways when you are, you know, doing tax returns. Be honest. Don't steal it from the government. Or when you are giving tithe and offering, don't steal it from God. When you sign the contract that you will be here at certain hour and work, and you know, some of you work remotely, are you being honest, truthful, or are you stealing some of those contractual effort and time that you need to put on? Stealing. That also is. We have very loose understanding. I'm not taking someone else's phone. I'm not pickpocketing someone else or shoplifting. Of course not. But it's not enough for you to just think about some of the items that doesn't belong to you and you possess it. But if you were supposed to be doing the work that you are supposed to do, honor the something the contract that you need to truthfully, then you need to abide by it because that's also stealing. But Paul says here, a thief has to stop stealing. But not just he stopped stealing things, but what does he have to do? After he stops stealing, what does he have to do? He needs to work. He says you need to work. Do the honest work with your hand. Earning your own living. Why? What's the point? What's the reason behind? Well, because we're not supposed to do nothing so that others have to take care of you when you are obviously perfectly capable to take care of yourself. It's wrong because it's just dishonest, because it's wasteful, because it is lazy. Stop stealing. Work with your hands. But not working, not doing honest work is not only wrong because it's dishonest and lazy, but also Paul says it's wrong because you can't help other people. You're barely making your ends meet. You're barely balancing your bills with the work that you do. Paul says stop stealing, work. Do honest work with your hands. So that not only you can stand on your two feet and uh, uh, serve yourself, but you have enough to do what? Build others. Help others. Share with brothers and sisters. That is the point. Christian's desire of, uh, uh, to make more money has to do with, I want to give more, serve more. I want to be a blessing to others. And when you live like that and spend your money like that, you wonder why God will continue to bless those people. After all, Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive. The fourth item, fourth behavior we need to work on, it is to put off corrupting talk. That's corrupting talk. Instead of speak to build up one another. Instead of tearing down, you got to build up. Now, what is this corrupting talk? Now, this word, one word, corrupting talk, this word corrupt was used to describe in their context. It's also used, that word was used to describe fruits that are going uh, uh, bad. Rotting, rotting fruits and vegetables 
this word was used to describe spoiled food. Right? So he goes, Paul says, stop having these rotting words. Your words, your conversations either can rot people, spoil people, tear down people, or build up. Our talk corrupts things. Our words rots people. Our conversations tear down people's life. It can. And that's what we can do with our tongue, with our lips. And as God's new creation, some of us, some of our unwholesome, corrupt languages must not be part of us. We need to clean that up. Some of our off-color jokes, funny, you laugh and you saw it, and that's off-color. That's not really aligned with Christ. You don't have to repeat that. You don't have to share that. In the heat of moment, profanity slips out. You need to catch yourself and make sure next Next time when it happens, you have to stop yourself from cursing. Some of the unwholesome, dirty stories. Don't share. Don't talk. You're Christ's people. You are representing Him. There is no place for such things to be in your life. And it reminds me of the book of James when James talked about the tongue. And I call it tongue problem in James chapter 3. Tongue problem we have. And James describes it as a small part of our body. It's just like a rudder in the you know, giant cruise ship. It's tiny, yet it just navigates the entire thing. It's like a wildfire. Light, tiny little lit uh, uh, a match could turn into a wild, wildfire. That's tongue. And James says, no person, no one can control the tongue. And it's a serious problem. It causes serious problem. You can control it, but the spirit can. And it's an important thing that we need to be able to tame our tongue because you use that tongue to praise God, pray to God, and build up one another in the body of Christ. And if you use that same tongue that you use to praise God and use it to tear down or curse God or bring rotting, spoiled things to the people and their nature, it does not mix. Take a look at verse 30. It's interesting. Before he goes to the last behavior, he talks about this in verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he talked about it in chapter 2. We're sealed, marked by the Holy Spirit, secure, protected. And, you know, that God tells the world that, you know, they, these people belong to me. And that's the mark, the Holy Spirit. But he says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. He's crying. He's mourning. Why? And why is it here 
you know, the, the placement of this statement, why not at the end, why not at the top? You know, some uh, believes that, uh, that maybe some commentators believe that Holy Spirit is grieving, weeping because people, his people are not speaking the truth, but they lie. He's grieving because instead of uh, uh, um, <clears throat> because they're getting angry and that leads to sin, sin, uh, maybe they are uh, stealing and not sharing. Maybe they are uh, speaking corrupt things instead of building up one another. For that reason, spirit is grieving. We could see it that way too. But I believe the it's strategically placed after the fourth item, which is about the tongue, which is about uh, not speaking these rotting, unwholesome, corrupt things. Because this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 12, verse 34. Matthew 12, verse 34 says this, For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The words you speak is the direct representation, reflection of what's in your heart. You know, Capital One, commercial, what's in your wallet? What's in your heart? I don't have to know what's in your heart. I can hear you. I can ask you a question. I can hear you. And I know What's in your heart? What your heart is saturated with. Because out of the abundance of the heart, out of that overflow, what's saturating your heart? Is it the Spirit? Is it the Word of God? Your mouth will speak. It shows unmistakably what fills our heart. Your words. If the Spirit fills your heart, if the word of our Lord overflows your heart, that means the Spirit of God is active in your heart and you will sing hymns and psalms and encouraging words and positive talks will come out. But if it is not, the words, through the words you speak, you will grieve the Holy Spirit. He weeps as you, instead of subduing your flesh, you're subduing, ignoring the Spirit speaking to you. And through that, you say words that is contrary to what Jesus Christ is. Final item, the fifth behavior that Paul talks about, which I believe is just an encapsulation of the previous one. He says, put off bitterness, rage, malice. And instead, he simply says, show love. These things but Paul described in verse 31 and 32. Our nature, our natural tendency is very sinful. And Paul once again reminds us that we need to overcome our natural sinful tendencies and instead that doing these natural tendency and let ourselves go but we need to share the love that we have received so freely from God instead we have to be kind instead we have to be tender hearted instead of we need to be angry 
and accuse and get even, we need to forgive as God forgave you in Jesus Christ. Folks, there has to be, in Paul's mind, and I understand it as well, and you see it too, there has to be continuity between your conversion of Christ to Christ and the manner of life, your life in Christ. There has to be. You claim, then you live it. That's who you are, you show it. It's unmistakable. I don't think God is asking, the Lord is asking too much. Consistency, continuity. If we are God's new creation, here and now. He is not going to be your Lord later. Jesus is not your Lord later. He's the Lord now. If you are a new creation in Jesus Christ, He is your Lord now. You belong to Him now. And these behaviors must be evident now. Got to work on it now. Right now. So my prayer is that you and I will heed the message, Paul's message here. And let us put off, lay aside these things that, that aligns us with the people that does not know Jesus Christ, who is not serious about Jesus Christ. Let us lay aside, put off these things, things that does not reflect our newness in Christ. And let's put on behaviors that truly reflect the image of our God in true righteousness and holiness of our Lord Jesus. Practical things. Let's pray. Lord God, we uh, thank you for our opportunity to study your word. We pray for your word to do what it's designed to achieve in your people's lives train us, teach us, to correct us, to convict us, encourage us, comfort us. There are behaviors that we are um, well suited and um, that we're doing well, Lord, we thank you. May we continue to work on it. And if there are behaviors that we um, these things that easily cause us to have further problems, cause us to sin cause us not to directly re represent you pray that you by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us as he speaks to us undoubtedly uh, may we heed to his instruction listen and follow and obediently and as we do so each and every day daily as we take off these things worldly things, the formal manner of life, and as we put on more of the Lord Jesus, we pray that you will mold us and shape us in the form and the image that you desire. And I believe you will. Give us that courage, commitment to you 
which is not hard. You have forgiven us. And with that, we have received so many blessings and this privilege. Pray that with that understanding, may we also show the same kindness, same love, and being sympathetic, being tender-hearted to one another. Father, we thank you for our time. Thank you for the message. As we go from this place and on, Lord, I pray that you would go before us, go with us. And may we uh, truly carry ourselves as your people. Bless your people, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.